come on this glorious spring evening and we come to this place to gather as your church and we come as people seeking after you and your word, the guidance of your spirit. And we ask that you would fill this place with your spirit and that as we read these words that Paul wrote to the church so long ago, that we would be open and receptive to what it is that you desire to teach us. And that as we learn from your word, that we would not just uh, hear it as theological content, but we would be transformed by it and empowered by it to change our lives, not just for ourselves, but for you. Be with our time tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. So uh, here we are in Galatians chapter 3. Last time we were together, um, we were not in Galatians. So it's good to be back in Galatians with you. And it's kind of interesting because um, when I emailed out the questions today, um, I went to my files and I emailed uh, the Galatians 3 questions. Um, and then somebody said, are those the questions? <laughs> because they were from 2013, which led me down this mystery of, in 2013, did I teach this to the adults or did I teach this to the youth? And I'm sure none of you remember. So <laughs> I don't remember, so how could you remember? So in some ways we are in familiar territory, and for some of us this is brand new territory. And I want to try um, something new tonight, which many of you just got extremely uncomfortable. It's okay. Um, is there water leaking through the ceiling? <laughs> I was told about that, and Tom's teaching, and we're trying to be all inconspicuous, and then we don't have that problem. Uh, we do have a different problem, but it's a minor problem. Um, so I was reading this book uh, today and in, um, about the importance of Scripture, and I thought, hey, why not try something new tonight uh, with the Wednesday Night Adults? And so... Are you ready for this? Maybe. <laughs> so, so often we become consumers, um, and in it's uh, Francis Chan's new book, and he talks about the consumer-driven church and how um, people come to church and they sit down and they say, all right, feed me. And it's like going to uh, an exercise class and the trainer is on the treadmill and you're sitting there watching the trainer work out. So I thought, yeah, at least a few people thought that was good. Uh, so I thought, why not read the text together with our voices, meaning out loud? Okay, so we're going to try this. So we're going to read uh, the first six verses um, of Galatians together, and then we'll talk about it. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. 
Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. So last week, um, I heard many of you were unsaved. Um, and then John came in at the end and brought you all back to Jesus. So that was encouraging. <laughs> I was listening to that and I was like, wow, okay, all right, sounds good. Um, so here we are in uh, chapter 3 after this discussion about justification and what justification looks like. And he, Paul uses this um, scathing statement to start this section because we are moving into a new section of this letter. He's gone through proving himself and his ministry, um, getting into this concept of justification. And it's a bit of a new section, but he will also pick up on similar themes. And he just goes full on like, hey, you idiots. Um, that's really the, the tone of this, uh, the verb tenses in the Greek. Oh, um, you bunch of idiots, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, this idea of bewitching is literally who has given you the evil eye. Now, many of us, many of us know, um, who happen to be of the same gender that I am, um, you're familiar with an evil eye. This is a different evil eye. Um, this is literally like a, a spell. Um, if you think the classic song that starts, I put a spell on you, it's this idea of an incantation or you were looked at um, in a way and now you are under a spell. Because for Paul, he thinks, how else could you have made this shift from where we were when I was with you the last time to the place that you have found yourself in now. Certainly, no rational, intelligent person would be able to make this jump without um, literally being spellbound by some other force. And then he says, It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Now, the interesting thing about that phrase is we think, or at least um, we have a tendency to think, did these people literally see Jesus crucified? Because at first blush in the reading of this, we think, did they actually see Jesus crucified? Because if they would have seen him crucified, certainly they wouldn't have made this mistake. And it's not that they physically saw him crucified. It's that they saw the gospel presented to them. So this, when he says, publicly portrayed as crucified, they have heard the gospel, they have heard the truth of the gospel, which is the crucifixion uh, of Christ and the resurrection. He says, let me ask you only this. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Now, we're going to get into um, some dichotomies here, some um, 
polar opposites, some contrasts, or the word of the week, some juxtaposition. It's a fun word to say, some some juxtaposition. It's like spam on your sushi. Um, Like this shouldn't, really? Like, no, really shouldn't happen. Um, Funny story about spam, which we'll save for another time. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? So it is implied that they have received the Spirit. And whenever we talk about the Spirit, we mean the Holy Spirit. And whenever we talk about the Holy Spirit, many of us get more um, weirded out or feeling awkward than when you have to read out loud. Because for the longest time, we don't want to deal with the Holy Spirit we don't want to deal with the role of the Spirit in our lives because it's, um, it's mystical. It's not a concrete um, idea. You know, it's, it's this mystical concept of the third person of the Trinity. And because of that, for the longest time, unless you grew up in a charismatic or have been a part of a charismatic congregation, we have neglected the value and the importance and the power of the Spirit, uh, of the Holy Spirit, in not only our lives, but also in the church. And so we want to take back this concept of the importance and the power of the Holy Spirit. And Chan, in his new book, much like he does in The Forgotten God, He says, in America, we have an easier time believing in demon possession than we do believing in the power of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We got a one head shake, and and we got a few silent amens because I heard them. Um, But we have this concept of demon possession that we get from, uh, really, from Hollywood, and we think, could a person be demon-possessed? Oh, yeah, absolutely. And what would that look like? And so we give this list of uh, those characteristics. Could a person be filled with the Holy Spirit? We're like, yeah, Jesus, Holy Spirit, answer, yes, okay. What does that look like? Um, Probably weird. Um, Probably raising of hands, speaking in tongues, all things that most of us would find not normative um, to our religious experience. And so we have this interesting wrestling of, am I filled with the Holy Spirit? Or am I not filled with the Holy Spirit? And if I am filled with the Holy Spirit, why am I not experiencing some of the manifestations of the Spirit that other people are experiencing? Or why am I not even experiencing the Holy Spirit fruit salad? Which is a different teaching for a different time. But you're familiar, right? The fruit of the Spirit. Yeah, it's all those things, but it's a fruit salad. It's not individual pieces that you say, I like that, I like that, I don't like that. You get all of them together. And so Paul is saying, you have received the Spirit, you Galatians, And what the Spirit has done in reference to this particular context is the first thing the Spirit does is works through justification, right? So for those of us who weren't here last week, like me, um, 
but I listened online, so as, as if I was here, there was talk about justification being this point-in-time event uh, which were made right with God. If you want to um, speak Christianese or seminary ease, it's a punctilier point-in-time event when we are made right with God. It's also the point at which we receive the Holy Spirit. And Paul is saying, did you receive the Spirit by works of the law? Which he's starting to set up this big um, section on the law. Or by hearing with faith. And then he, in case you're wondering, his rhetorical question is followed by, you idiots. (laughs) Well, the ESV says, are you so foolish? So he bookends um, foolish and this uh, conversation about the Spirit and the power of the Spirit contrasted with the works of the law and with are you so foolish as if he didn't have their attention in the first place. He says, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Excuse me. And so it's this interesting idea of when we think about justification, this point in time event, and then um, the rest of our earthly life as on our journey with Christ, um, we refer to it as spiritual formation, transformation. The role of the Holy Spirit is to aid in that transformation, to make manifest the fruit of the Spirit, to empower us, to allow us to be guided by the Spirit. You know, oftentimes when you say, I heard the voice of God, what you're saying is, I heard the Spirit in my life. And so, um, this idea of the Spirit working through these Galatians, he says, uh, having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the law? And so, uh, you know, ahituna sushi here uh, would be the spirit, and spam sushi over here, that would be the law. Contrast, right? Um, juxtaposition, right? You have like um, a, a really sweet cookie over here, and you have um, kombucha over here. <laughs> You're like, those two things should not go together. I, I would agree with you, sort of. So he's saying, you started with the Spirit, you're working with the Spirit, and now you've gone back to the law? Like, how does this make any sense? And so as I was thinking about it, I thought, why not bring an island illustration? So let's say we're on the shores um, of the West Coast, and we decide we want to swim to Hawaii. You're like, yeah, not possible. I would agree with you, not possible um, to swim to Hawaii, but we're like, all right, uh, we've been convinced that we need to get to Hawaii, and so we start swimming to Hawaii, and we realize uh, we're never going to make it. And so here comes a boat uh, alongside of us and says, hey, um, you need to get to Hawaii. You can't get there by yourself. Get in the boat, and I'll get you there. And you're like, As long as it's not a Norwegian cruise ship, I'm on. (laughs) And so you get in the boat, and you're like, yes, I'm going to be to Hawaii uh, at some point, and I know I'm not going to drown in the ocean. Uh, And then after a while, you realize, 
ah, maybe I want to swim. And the guys are like, or gals, the po- people on the boat, are like, you are a moron. <laughs> like, you're never going to make it. And Paul is saying, you started with the Spirit, well, you started with the law, you weren't going to make it. Spirit comes alongside. You're like, okay, this is the answer. And then as you're going with the Spirit, you're like, ah, this is going too easy or something. And so you go back to the law. It really doesn't make any sense. It really makes no sense. And that's why he is saying these things to them. Why are you so foolish? Are you now being perfected by the flesh? Again, there's this contrast of think law and flesh are on the one side of the dichotomy and spirit is on the other and faith are on the other side of the equation. He says, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? One of the things that Paul is doing throughout uh, his writing of any of his letters, but he's responding to people or critics Uh, around issues. So when he says this, did you suffer so many things in vain if indeed it was in vain? Certainly there were people that were saying we are suffering for no reason. And this concept of suffering is a very interesting thing for us because we have no concept for the most part of what it means to suffer for the gospel. These people, on the other hand, were coming to faith in an environment where the gospel was not accepted and they would have to suffer when they accepted Jesus Christ. And they have done all of these things to suffer and to overcome and to be in this place where they are by faith and by the Spirit. And now all of a sudden they're just like, I'm good. And Paul says, again, you've made it this far. Why are you abandoning ship? Why are you getting back with the law and back into this idea of works? Did you suffer so many things in vain? Sometimes suffering is a good thing. Most of the time, suffering is a good thing, but we don't like to deal with suffering. And I listened to this fascinating podcast um, over the weekend about pain and suffering. And we live in a culture that does not want to suffer at all. We don't want to experience pain at all. And how many times in Scripture does Jesus give us this idea and do the writers give us this idea that when we come to Christ, there will be suffering that we will have to endure? And Paul is saying, are you enduring the suffering in vain because you've just gone back to the old ways? He says, does he who supplies the Spirit to you and and works miracles among you do so 
by works of the law or by hearing with faith. If you notice, he's always leading with the works of the law because that's what they've gone back to versus hearing by faith. And we see this word miracles and it's much like the Holy Spirit and we're like, ooh, yeah, not really a thing. Not really a thing for me. Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you? So he who supplies the Spirit and does miracles among you. We're like, yeah, I'm not sure that really is in our context today. The miracle thing must have been like a back-in-the-day kind of situation. To which, really? Is it not the case that the same God who provides for us, the Holy Spirit, is working miracles in our context? For most of us, we're like, eh, mm, no, <laughs> no. And so often when it comes to uh, the conversation around faith stories, a lot of people will say, um, well, I don't really, I, nothing really has happened in my life. And you just, I, I look for a padded surface because my head is about to uh, need to fall on something. Okay, so let's, let's track this, okay? As Tom so pointed out, and I believe he said these exact words, you're all going to hell. Isn't that what he said? Pretty much. He did use the word hell, and I was like, whoa, in my earbuds. Um, Without the work of the Spirit, we are all cursed. We are all destined for hell. No miracles? Really? Really? God does do miracles, and he does miracles all the time, but we have somehow been accustomed to explaining them away as if they're not miraculous events or downplaying them because we don't want to seem weird. Because talking about God doing miracles is a weird thing. Except it's a biblical thing. So... We could talk about him doing miracles more often. And you will when you have a question about that. But how does he do the miracles? Does he do the miracles by the law? Or does he do it by hearing with faith? And it's this interesting, really interesting thing, right? Because um, hearing is one thing. Hearing with faith is a different thing. And I saw this cartoon today, um, and it was in reference to, uh, it's Adam and Eve, um, and they're in the garden, and Adam has his AirPods in. You familiar with what AirPods are? They're ruining my life, okay? I'll just say that right now. Um, They are ruining my life. But anymore, I've told the story, right? When you put the AirPods in, if you have long hair, meaning um, like if you're a female, or you could be a male and have long hair, Brett Logan, um, or you have a hat on, you can't see that you have the AirPods in, and then somebody starts talking to you, and you're like, you're not, you're not listening to me, right? 
Yeah, I'm listening. No, you're, you're not. You might be hearing me, but you're not listening to me. And that's what Paul is saying, by hearing with faith. It's not just hearing. It's not just coming and getting the information, but it's hearing with this concept of hearing with faith, which means applying, not just hearing, but hearing and doing. So hearing with faith, contrasted with works of the law. Just as Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to what? Okay, preach the gospel to Abraham, saying, And you shall all nations be blessed, so then those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. This is a bit of a head-scratcher, right? Because it says God preached the gospel to Abraham, but we know that Abraham was an Old Testament character. And it's interesting because... uh, Somebody recommended, I read this Andy Stanley book, and this new idea of the Old Testament is dead, it's not important. And, and then you read this, and you're like, how can the Old Testament not be valuable and important when Paul is referencing Abraham as hearing the gospel and as the epitome of what it looks like to hear by faith and respond to God? And if we know anything about Abraham, we also have to scratch our head and say, um, Abraham did hear and and God told him, I'm going to bless you, Genesis 12, uh, with a son. And he had so much faith, he and his wife had so much faith um, that they went out and found somebody who was fertile. so that he could have a baby. (laughs) That's supposed to be ironic. Like, he didn't have faith in God, and so he has a son with someone who's not his wife, and God's thinking, that wasn't exactly um, what I had planned, so if you'll just follow my lead, I will give you a son through your wife, and his name will be Isaac. So what is it about Abraham's faith that we see as so valuable and important? Well, the story of Abraham is God says, I'm going to make this covenant with you. All nations will be blessed through you. I'm going to give you this son. And he gives him the son. And then he says, oh, by the way, now that your son is of um, age, I'd like you to go sacrifice him. And Abraham doesn't say, uh, no. He doesn't question God. He goes about his obedience and goes up on the hill, and the story goes, God is about to set, or Abraham is about to sacrifice his son, and there's the lamb, and it is this image of Abraham being faithful and having faith that God will provide what he needs. If you look at, flip back to Genesis chapter 15, verse 6, you're like, I thought we were done with the Old Testament. Wrong. 
uh, Genesis chapter 15, verse 6. The Old Testament is of great value, and so just keep that in mind. Um, so this covenant that God makes with Abraham, um, starting in verse 4, And behold, uh, the word of the Lord came to him, Abram, This man shall uh, not be your heir, your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars. If you are able to number them, then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. And so Paul is picking up on the faithfulness of Abraham as he relates to God and says to the people, you know who Abraham is and you should have the same faith that he did. Even though you can't exactly see what I'm going to do, you should be obedient to the things that I am calling you to do. And then it's interesting, right? Because foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, and we talked, or Tom talked about this last week, the idea of the blessing um, of the Gentiles and these Judaizers are trying to get these people to go back to Judaism and to convert to Judaism before they can convert to Christianity. And Paul is saying, Abraham, the, the pillar, like he's the George Washington on the Mount Rushmore of uh, the Old Testament. Would you agree? Should we have an Old Testament, Mount Rushmore debate? That'd be kind of fun. Like George Washington, Abraham would probably be first, I think, um, in my, but that's maybe a different discussion for a different time. Anyways, Abraham was the key feature or key person of the, of the Israelites, and God is saying that he um, was the pathway through which the Gentiles also would uh, become blessed. And if you look at Hebrews chapter 11, which we're not going to do tonight, it's about the, all of these people within the Old Testament who had faith that led them to a salvific position before God. And it's interesting because Abraham, right, is before the law, he's before the sacrificial system, and yet God is crediting him with faith. And some of the fifth graders um, asked their teacher, which then they asked me, the Wednesday night fifth graders, um, the question, did Adam and Eve go to heaven? And I thought, I've never thought about that. Some of you are like, yeah, I haven't either. We're not going to talk about it tonight, but it just begs the question, who gets in before Jesus comes? And Paul is saying, Faith is faith is faith is faith. Faith before Jesus is the same as it is faith after Jesus. It's the same, and he uses Abraham as this key person, this man of faith. And he says, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. 
Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. So that in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. And it's this interesting little boomerang of, in this section, okay, of talking about faith, blessing, curse, life, curse, blessing, faith. It's kind of this interesting little grammatical boomerang that Paul does here in this to drive home his point. It starts with faith and it ends with faith. And in the middle, there's some cursing and some life. He says, For who rely, all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. Now, there's one thing that we need to um, be aware of. And that is that we have this tendency to uh, demonize the Old Testament based on the law. And I'll save you the time. Um, that's basically uh, Stanley's point in his book, is that because the law is broken, therefore, let's get rid of the Old Testament. It's like baby with the bathwater. And so we have for a long time looked at works, doing things, as the law. But we need to reframe how we understand and translate the law because what Paul is talking about here is the law, the Jewish law, and none of us follow the Jewish law. I don't think any of us have tried to follow the Jewish law unless you're like real hardcore on Leviticus, which that's weirder than the Holy Spirit, okay? Um, and so when we start thinking about things, we're like, all right, uh, so law, bad, works is law, works is bad. So we come to faith in Christ, we get the Holy Spirit, uh, we get on the boat, and we're like, could I get a cold beverage? I mean, I'm on a boat, I'm in the ocean, uh, could use some sunscreen, maybe an umbrella, um, maybe one of those, like, Long sleeve T-shirts that are really thin. I learned the value of those. Um, we're like, I'm good. And the captain says, uh, I could use some help with a few things. I'm like, oh no, 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 no. I got on the boat because the boat was a free pass to the destination. And in the meantime, I'm good. So like, I'm here for you to serve me. Um, and the works was the swimming. And I'm done swimming, so like I'm not going to do anything else. Works is bad, works is death, works is the law. And we have gotten things a little bit twisted in this scenario because when we come to faith in Christ and when we receive the Holy Spirit, it doesn't mean that we stop doing things. In fact, we should do more things. Uh, we just do them with the right reason, uh, with, for the right reason, and we've been going through James in our small group, and this last week on Sunday we were talking about the importance of works as it relates to our faith. And so then the next question is, so then what do I have to do to earn my salvation? Okay, no, that's not what I said. Um, 
we are saved by the grace of Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit, and the works that flow out of that have nothing to do with our salvation. Like, we don't become, uh, our, our salvation is not contingent upon uh, the amount of things that we do for God. Um, unless you want to start ushering, because we kind of could use some ushers, then that would help. Um, mostly not joking, uh, somewhat true. But anyways, we have gotten things a bit twisted and said, well, I don't want to fall into this works-based mentality. And so we have to understand that what Paul is fighting against is working towards salvation, working towards justification. No, that doesn't work, okay? Becoming justified and spiritual formation, transformation, all of these things, works is a part of that component. And so we want to be careful that we're like, we don't think we're on the gravy easy train and that once we come to faith in Christ, like we don't have to do anything else. What we do is the things that we do for Christ. It's, it's a little bit like um, if you're going to live in my house, you're going to start doing your own laundry and you're going to load the dishwasher and, okay, maybe not totally like that, but you get the idea. It's more like I don't do things for Nikki so that she won't divorce me. It's like, honey, I got you this card um, and these flowers. I know it's not um, one a, a day for, for like 17 years, um, like John, but hey, I thought I should get you these flowers because I'm your husband, and, and here. And here's a card because that's what I should do. No. We do things for God because of what he has done for us and by the work of the Spirit in our own lives. And so as we talk about the law here, it's law leading to justification doesn't work. Um, so when we talk about works in our own lives, it's not saying we shouldn't do anything. We're justified and we're freed to live for God as a disciple. And a disciple wants to do things for God. And he says, But the law is not of faith. Rather, the one who does them shall live by them. Meaning you can't swim um, and be in the boat. Like you're either in the boat or you're swimming. If you're swimming, you're dead. Um, you get the idea. And some of you are like, you know, this analogy is really breaking down. I, it's, yeah, I'm aware. It's a bit of a Titanic-like an uh, analogy. If you, um, Jack and Rose. Uh, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree, so that in Christ Jesus the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles so that we might receive the promised spirit through faith. So Christ, as we think about this idea of uh, salvation, the atonement, we say, what is it that Christ is doing? And as we approach Easter and as we look at Maundy Thursday and try and reflect on what is it that Christ is doing when he goes to the cross 
and is resurrected. And Paul is saying, we all are cursed because of our sin, and we all deserve what a cursed person would deserve, which is death. And Christ comes on behalf of us, becoming the curse for us. He steps in to the place that was our spot and takes care of the curse. It's like in the middle of the night, you hear that horrific sound coming from your kid's room. And you're like, it's all right, honey. I got this one. You keep sleeping. I'll go get the bucket and the spatula and the extra sheets. Some of you know what I'm talking about. What Paul is saying is Christ comes to accept our curse on our behalf so that we can experience the Holy Spirit and the blessing of Abraham. He says the blessing of Abraham might come to the Gentiles, all of us, so that we might receive the promised Spirit through faith. Again, this idea of faith is not a passive thing. It's an active and vibrant thing. So when we receive the Spirit, it is through this hearing and doing and responding, this active faith that doesn't just, again, climb onto the boat and say, now now you serve me. And we receive the Spirit so that we can be empowered to go out and do these things out of our love for God and out of our love for what Jesus has done for us. And it's this mysterious Trinitarian thing uh, that takes place. And for so long, we think of the Holy Spirit as, as Francis Chan says, the forgotten God. But here in Galatians, Paul drives home the point that the Spirit is extremely important not only to our salvation, but to our continuation of living out this life of faith unto God. Um, save all your tough questions. I'm going to feign illness, and then when I, we come back, ask them to John. You can grab a Bible and go to your groups.